Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast. For your source of discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join our host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot or KP, and Lyle Convoy or Lyle Manbad. So this conversation was recorded in 2017, which was a little while ago. It was my first conversation with Steven Silver, who's the character designer of Kim Possible. He's a cool dude. It was on the main channel for a little bit, but I thought it wasn't really relevant anymore. But I thought it might still be interesting to keep and let people listen to, so we repackaged it as a episode of the podcast, Animation Communication. Woo! So, um, hope you enjoy. So... Hi everyone, welcome to my first interview in like a year. <laughs> um, I'm KP and I actually have the honor of interviewing someone from the original Kim Possible staff, Mr. Steven Silver. Steven, you want to say hello? Hello, hello, hello everyone. <laughs> so I sent him an email out of the blue just expecting, you know, nothing honestly and then I got a, we got a response pretty fast and we've been planning this interview for a little while now and I finally got everything together and I'm excited to have them and um, this is basically to give you guys a sense of um, art, understanding art on a greater scale than um, My Little Pony, and also just to open the, the conversation just to kind of talk about art in general and all that fun stuff. So um, I'm going to be talking about how Steven started it and um, ask him questions about how he developed the concepts for Kim Possible, the character design, um, which basically means like he's obviously he's designing the characters. He goes through some um, trials trying to figure out what exactly is the per- perfect design. He also did the character design for Danny Phantom 2. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then we'll just kind of close with some um, links for you guys on how to improve your art and just tips and tricks and all that good stuff. So, um, so my first question, Steven, is at what age did you know you wanted to do art for a living? Uh, I was, you know, it started, I think, just pretty young. I, I had a very uh, weird experience. I, I, For all you guys wondering where I'm from out there, you're going to hear my weird accent. Um, I'm originally from England, uh, and I moved to America when I was 10 years old. But when I was around six years old, I just was looking out my bedroom window, and I saw a sketchbook laying in my... Uh, I didn't know what it was at the time, and I saw a book laying in my backyard on the grass... And I went downstairs and picked it up and it was filled with just illustrations, portraits and landscapes and all that. Yeah, and I was around six years old at the time and I just started drawing, you know, just like a, like a madman. I just all of a sudden like became obsessed uh, with wanting to draw. And so I would say my the, the earliest time I can recollect was probably around six years old when I began and just really just never stopped. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I kind of started similarly. I, I draw on the side. I'm definitely not as good as you are. But um, yeah, it just basically practice and practice and practice and practice. Like I do gesture um, drawings daily just to kind of get in the feel, but I'm still not that great. But yeah, it's it just all about practice and also drawing from life because I feel a lot of people just draw from their cartoon shows, which is great, but it doesn't like, I feel like people need to like practice landscapes, practice well, More yeah. than just like, yeah. And, and I mean, that's what it was for me. It's like once I started, I was just, I was at that moment in time, you know, always drawing from the cartoons. You know, I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, just watching a lot of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons and was always drawing from those. And then it wasn't until I was around 13 years old when I discovered Norman Rockwell 
uh, the illustrator, and from that point was just blown away by his artwork and his sense of caricature. And then mm-hmm. when I went into high school, that I was, I th- then I found Mad Magazine, and then from Mad Magazine just led me onto this whole caricature realm where I was just drawing caricatures and just copying and practicing and drawing all the time. Um, and that's pretty much how it started. But it was like it was that uh, that real discipline of just drawing like a madman, just loving the idea of art and knowing that I just wanted to be an artist the rest of my life, but make a living at it. I didn't just want to be an mm-hmm. artist and just draw by myself and in my sketchbook and and do all that. I knew that I wanted to make a career out of this. And that's really when I just um, started at the uh, young age of 18, doing it uh, professionally, uh, caricatures at theme parks. And I started traveling mm-hmm. all over the country, just drawing caricatures. And by then, I, you, then you're having to draw, you know, like eight, nine hours a day. So you're just mm-hmm. going and, and it's cool because you're making a living at it too. Um, but that's where I got my real practice in was every day outside in these amusement parks, drawing caricatures. And then I started taking life drawing when I was about 20. Um, and then that point when I really started to hone in on my skills at around 20 years old and uh, just that constant wanting to improve, knowing that I'm never going to get hired in this industry. I didn't even know what it, the industry really was unless mm-hmm. you're good, because that's all anyone cares about um, is how well you can draw, how good your ideas are uh, at the end of the day. Right. You actually answered my second question oh. for how you started. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I was gonna. So my next question is, how did you make your transition from drawing um, just freelance to basically drawing for the animation industry? Yeah. So it was interesting. I'm, I'm a firm believer if this is something you truly want to pursue and get into is just try to join organizations or clubs or meetup groups, whatever you can within the art realm. And when I was living in San Diego, there was a uh, an art group out there called the Southern California Cartoonist Society. And every month they had a meeting and they always brought guest speakers. So one, one of those months, one of the guest speakers was a guy um, named Tom. I can't remember his last name. I wish I could. And he worked on uh, Freakazoid at Warner Brothers. And he was a uh, storyboard artist. And I was always showing people my stuff because I always wanted feedback, you know, hey, is there any advice you can give me? And I showed him my work and he said, hey, you know, you got some pretty good stuff, you know, keep at it and keep in contact, you know? And so I, I did. And it wasn't until about a year later that I actually reached out to him again and said, hey, Tom, you know, I, I, I'd love to look into this animation, you know, uh, you know, thing and, and what it is, what it entails. And he said, hey, why don't you come up to Warner Brothers um, and I'll just show you around and uh, you can show me your portfolio. So I, I went, drove up to Warner Brothers and uh, met with him and showed him my portfolio. And he said he saw a bunch of caricatures in there and he said, you know what? I think they're looking for a character designer upstairs on a show called Hysteria because they just fired the recent character designer. He wasn't working out. So um, let me let me take you up there. So we went up there and the director wasn't there at the time, but I had my portfolio and they said, why don't you just drop off your portfolio, leave it with us. We'll show it to the director when he gets back in tomorrow. And that's kind of what happened was the next day, the director saw my portfolio and then the producer called me up and said, hey, I would like you to take a test. So all the studios, every studio you want to try to get into, they're all going to um, want you to take a test. The portfolio, Mm -hmm. you wish it could sell it, 
but it doesn't because it gives them an idea about your capabilities but from there, they want to see what you can do on the, uh, you know, if you can match the show style. So this is where mimicry and learning and copying other people's styles for me came into play because that's how I would practice. And so now I was able to uh, mimic the show style and then I had to make up some new characters for the show. And that's when I submitted my designs back to them and they liked what I did and they offered me a job. And that was back in uh, 1997. I, I think I was around 24 years old, uh, 23, 24 at the time. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm networking now and everyone always affirms that it's not like, it's not about what you know, but it's about who you know and who you have in contact. So it's a little bit of both. It's about your talent, but also like who you meet along the way and going to those meetups and just reaching yourself, like getting out there, I think is a really important thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's what, yeah. Um, so as far as you made a good point about copying pre pre-made um, designs and looking at the model sheets and a model sheet for those who aren't aware are basically the like a model of the character in all angles so the artist and um, the storyboard artist and eventually the animators can look at that and make sure the style is consistent no matter who's animating it or whatnot so I was going to ask you what's your general process for coming up with new character designs for both pre-existing character designs and totally new characters what's that like uh, or shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, so, I mean, any time that I'm on a production, the thing is, like, you know, for instance, Kim Possible, what would happen was I would just get a, a an initial script. I got, like, the pilot script, and that was before any characters were designed, and then you're reading through the script. So that's the best thing you could do is just learn about the character, who the character is, and then it's just a lot of communication with the director. And this is why it's very important to be personable and be confident and be able to talk to people um, and just go back and forth and banter. So I would talk to the director, well, you know, she should be, you know, 16 year old, athletic, sort of teenager, this, that, and you get all these sort of maybe some uh, clues as to the direction. And then it's just, just drawing. Then you're just going mm -hmm. to town and you just start, uh, just coming up with a bunch of little thumbnails. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Every time I get a script, um, what will end up happening is the production uh, coordinator will give you what's called a breakdown. And that gives you a list of all the characters that need to be designed for that show. And that could even entail, you know, a woman walking the dog on the street or the people sitting at the coffee shop or the kid standing at his locker and all these incidental characters. So you may have to design anywhere from... 25 to 150 characters per show uh, depending mm -hmm. so you got to be pretty quick uh, too when you're designing the new characters for the show that usually takes a lot longer you're trying to find the style you're trying to discover that so when I'm designing new characters for development because that's what I do a lot all the time is I do just visual development just early concept designs of characters for shows and I explore a lot of different variations of that one character and then once they pick a character that they like, well, that helps me. Then I know what the universe looks like. And then I know what the style looks like of the show. And from there, I'm able to just now um, make sure that I unify all the rest of the characters and make sure that they all work and it's cohesive. And then building up the rest of the world of characters from there. Okay, so um, we'll move on to general Kim Possible questions. And um, I do know a lot about Kim Possible, so I, can, I may be able to bounce off you. So my first question is... Um, how did you get approached for Kim Possible? Uh, so at the time I was working at Disney on another show, um, some of you guys may have heard of, it was called Weekenders. 
um, on the Disney Channel, and I was designing characters on that. And while I was on that, uh, my director that I worked with on Clerks, the animated series, uh, mm-hmm. they were now looking, they were now, this was being tossed around the studio, this Kim Possible. So he had approached me and said, hey, we're looking to develop this new show. Are you interested in taking a stab at drawing the characters? And at that point, I was just like, oh yeah. You know, I kind of didn't want to be on Weekenders anymore. I wasn't having the, the, the best time. Um, and I just wanted a new challenge. So I got the opportunity just to just start doing a bunch of freelance work um, on Kim Possible, doing a bunch of sketches, and then they liked the direction that I was taking it and doing it. So then they said, we're going to take you off of Weekenders and we're going to bring you on as the, you know, the lead designer on uh, Kim Possible. So that's how I got my, and I was so happy, you know, so then that's how I got my start on that. That's cool. Yeah. Um yeah, what was Weekenders just not your cup of tea, I guess, after a while, or you've been working yeah, on it for a yeah. long time? Yeah, i just been on it for a while, and um, it just, the characters just weren't that exciting to draw, um, in right. all honesty. Um, so, all of a sudden, when I got presented with the script of the Kim Possible, and this was like a girls' action adventure show, and there's going to be these supervillains and all this other stuff, I was just like, wow, that sounds really fun and really cool. And when I was starting just to come up with the the look and the design, I was having so much fun. I'm just like, this is this is this is heaven right now. So um, I was real excited again to get off Weekenders. Yeah, week. Um, um, this might make you feel a little old, but Weekenders was kind of <laughs> before my time. But yeah. I remember distinctly that the character models for them were very similar. Each character was yes pretty similar and then Kim Possible I can imagine gave you a lot more freedom with oh you know, yeah, just kind of, yeah. Without a doubt just a, yeah just a lot more fun and entertaining just to draw those characters a lot of different shapes I'm, I'm kind of curious this will kind of go into the next question but how did you come up with that that infamous up, upper lip design that everyone thinks is a mustache Right. You know, I think part of it is just working back and forth uh, with my director, uh, Chris Bailey. And then as we were just drawing, I think it just sort of like happens in the sketches. Right. So you're just sort of like drawing and you, you just do something. And I think it just reflects somewhere along the line. And maybe even when they colored um, her, um, Alan Bowden was the art director and when it got colored that sort of got left in there and it sort of just changed and evolved uh, the, the style from that point it was just one of those things where it was just left um, I don't know in all honesty that there was a ton of thought that went into it I think it was just more of a natural uh, progression of just from all the experimentation that was going on at the time right right yeah I understand it's just I don't, I don't know if you've seen there's some fun memes about it but oh yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Anyway, um, so it seems like for the, especially for the the Kim Possible characters, that they were very influenced by their their character, like who they are. Like for instance, Draken had like these big shoulders and like the kind of this the scar for the eyes, and um, Ron has kind of a slacker kind of look with the loose pants and stuff. So I was just wondering, um, like as far as what what, what kind of descriptions were you given when coming up with the um, with the core cast? Yeah, uh, it was. I think it was very just open at that point, from what I can remember. Again, yeah, it was just a long time ago, but I remember we know that yeah, Draken he was the supervillain. Um, so I had so many different variations of him. I mean, every time when you're developing a show, you just go go through just tons and tons of drawings and at one point he was going to be more of like an egg-shaped character and he went through these different evolutions and then it wasn't till I did this one 
design where he got just a lot more pointy and angular and the long face where again my work my director and and the writers mark and bob were just like yeah we're liking that direction and then it, that just starts to evolve and then i'm not sure why they ended up just making him blue like i wasn't in that meeting like why why that ended up happening whether you know where the most likely just alan uh bodner's decision on that and he was the art director on iron giant um, oh, wow. So, you know, he had just a lot of, he was a great colorist and um, the theme, the color themes that we were going for at the time were all based on like the old Disneyland posters. If you guys mm -hmm. have ever seen like Space Mountain and all these different old Disneyland, Disneyland posters from the 50s, uh, that was almost like the color palette and stylization that we were trying to blend everything into. Um, and then, yeah, just with the characters, knowing Ron, his personality, reading through the script, you know that he's a sort of slacker and, you know, getting the baggier clothes, you know, made sense. But I also just remember distinctively, like with Kim Possible, I was told by the executives, you know, and I was told you need to you need to figure out what kids are going to be wearing two years from now because the show wasn't going to be coming out for a couple of years. So it's just like so then you start thinking like, oh, my God, what are kids going to be wearing two years from now? How am I supposed to know? I can't go into the future. But part of us, you know, we did know that I, I knew people were most likely still going to be wearing jeans. Um, mm -hmm. Khaki pants were pretty popular, you know, then and still are today. Funnily enough, it's one of those things that those have been around for a long time. Um, and that's, you know, that's where those sort of the, the simplicity of it kind of uh, came from. Out of curiosity, was the show already greenlit before you were brought on to it? Um, I am trying to think if it was, um, that I in all honesty, I cannot remember if it was greenlit yet at that point. Um, I think we, no, no, it wasn't because we were working on the pilot and that's what we had to convince the network to greenlight the show. So it wasn't until we did the pilot that the show got greenlit. Right, right. That, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, to explain greenlit basically means you have to convince the studio, or Disney in this case, to fund like X, like for whatever season, because they have to pay for a whole season, usually one at a time, or sometimes two, or whatever. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, um, so I recently saw on your channel you released the first animatic for the episode Crush. Um, did you do that or did you just provide the character models and stuff like that? Yeah, I just provided the character designs. So that was um, storyboarded, I think, by about three different storyboard artists um, mm -hmm. on that. And then it was then they made the decision to color it because usually most animatics, they don't bother with color or doing those shows. They don't do they don't need to. It can take a lot of time. But that's the... We were trying to sell the show at that point. Mm -hmm. So that really uh, helped. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of like... There was a lot of shading and detail. And I was just like, what's going on? But yeah, that makes sense why um, they were trying to sell the show. Um, anyway, looking into that animatic, I noticed there were different elements compared to the episode itself. Like, for instance, Shigo was missing. And then a different design for Kim, mostly her hair color. Yeah. Like, Ron had a different clothing outfit. And then the songs that ended up being cut like the you have the hey mickey song which definitely wasn't right. in the original show yeah and so then I was even wondering... the, the beep her communicator beep was different too that mm -hmm. wasn't thought yet thought out yet 
so I guess those kind of elements come in as you get feedback from Disney after they see the um, the pilot story um, animatic, or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at that point now, you know, it gets greenlit. Now they can start really hiring the crew and bringing everyone on and really everyone can start committing uh, to what it is that they need to do. And so then it's still going through the evolution. We're still at that point trying to refine the characters um, you know, at first, the executives thought that Kim wasn't uh, athletic looking enough. You know, her mm-hmm. hair was too short or, you know, her body, whatever it may be, make her taller, whatever these different uh, notes would be. And then we're still, as we're trying to put together the model pack, those are all the things that we're taking into consideration. And then at that point, you know, I'm doing the turnarounds and doing the, the expressions and any attitudes, mouth charts, uh, hand charts, all these things just really breaking down what is the show style because now we have to create a language, you know, of mm-hmm. what, what, what is it? You know, how, how is everyone overseas going to understand what this is? And that's when we're taking a lot of time working on that. Right, right. Yeah, and I was going to ask if it was shipped out overseas after the animatics were done, but yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, yeah. Everything's pretty much shipped overseas just because of the cost. Um, I'm right, not sure right. which studio, whether it went to Japan or Korea. Um, or, you know, there's all different studios. you got India, Korea, China, uh, Thailand. I mean, so many. there's so many studios all over the world now. Um, and it's just more uh, cost effective for the studios to do that as opposed to having all the animators uh, in-house, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, f- I figured um, in-house animators are only for um, features, right? <coughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so my next question is the show went on for eventually four seasons. Uh, what was your continued involvement like as like new characters were needed? Were, did they contact you like on an episode per episode basis? Was it like you got a whole bunch of scripts at the st- start of the season? Like how did that work? Yeah, so uh, the interesting thing that happened at that time was we finished the first, I was in-house uh, for the first season. And then what happened was they, um, there was, that that was it. The, the show was over. We didn't know if there was going to be a pickup. So I actually got laid off uh, from Disney. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up going over at that time to go develop uh, Danny Phantom um, at Nickelodeon uh, um, after I got laid off there. And then I was at Nickelodeon working on Danny Phantom full time in-house. And then I got a call from uh, the, the new director. They brought on a new director to the show and they just asked me at that point if I would continue to keep developing, do the designs. So now I was working freelance for season two, three, and four while mm-hmm. um, at home at night. So I would work all day on Danny Phantom, come home at night. I would get my scripts. They would send me the scripts and then and the breakdown of all the characters I needed to do. And then I would design all the characters and just pretty much just email them in um on a on a show to show basis for the for those other three seasons wow that sounds hectic yeah well it was pretty hectic <laughs> yeah um i was i was gonna ask you additionally because the season the fourth season of the show like no one kind of knew it was happening until like it finally like it happened did that come off as a surprise to you because i know like so the drama was supposed to be like the series finale and then it wasn't anymore Right. Um, yeah, no, not really. I think I was always just on the, for me, it was like the script by script basis. I wasn't, I was never sure what was gonna, you know, go on or what was really happening within the behind closed doors, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with the executives. Um, I do, I, I can tell you, uh, the reason why Kim Possible, um, uh, ended, you may already know. 
why 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 it ended. Um, I don't actually. You, oh, you know, oh. but... So, um, well, what had happened was at that point where, and I think why it came to that end was a bunch of the executives that were on Kim Possible at the time who greenlit the show were oh, no right, longer right. at the studio anymore. And so a bunch of new executives came on and this is when Phineas and Ferb was being pitched around. And so the new executives wanted to have something that they could call their own. You know, they they, mm-hmm. they, they weren't involved in Kim Possible. It wasn't their baby. They had no involvement in it. So uh, they wanted something that they could take pride in and, and really build up and put their thumbprint on. And so that's what ended up happening. Basically, it was just like Phineas and Ferb ended up being the replacement um, and just uh, for Kim Possible. And that's that's sort of like what happened and why Kim right, Possible right. never kept going on. Yeah, because I wasn't... Yeah, th- yeah. thank you for clarifying that. But yeah, I wasn't sure because they. D- I know they did invest in the, um, the Kim Possible Disney attraction at Walt Disney World right, and yeah. stuff like that. So I was confused why they did all that. Yeah. But then, you know... It, and, I, and I could tell that Phineas and Ferb took their took the spot, but yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, there was high uh, hopes. I, I was I was hoping when they did that at the at the Disney uh, World, I think it was Epcot Center, where they brought that. I thought, wow, they're gonna bring Kim Possible back. Oh, after all these years later, and I thought that would be so cool. Like I would totally jump on that. You know, if it happened, it would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I actually um, did the Kim Possible challenge. Like, oh, you did? I went there. Yeah, it was it was great. It was really cute. And then um, I actually saw some be- like some earlier prototypes that people uploaded on YouTube with like finished animation at the very end. Oh um, right. Yeah, that was. I thought that was really cute. But yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And then like suddenly it's the 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 Perry the Platypus, which is ba- but it's basically the same attraction. So I don't right. know if you if you know about that. But yeah, okay, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. Um. But do you know? Well, yeah, you don't know why I was got renewed. Anyway, um, so uh, who was your favorite character, and do you have a favorite episode you either worked on or favorite episode just to watch? Oh my god! You know, really, I, I can't. Yeah, I I, th- I don't know that I could ever name an episode, but you know, um, I really just loved every time I got a script and had to draw new villains. You know, I was always excited. Mm-hmm to see what that next villain would be, whether it was, you know, Duff Killigan or, you know, Monkey Fist or, or any of these characters that would just show up. Um, you know, you had the, the repeat ones, of course, over and over, but that was always just the exciting thing to me. So I can't say that there was really ever just one character um, over any of them. It was, you know, even just drawing some of the incidental characters were just a lot of fun uh, Mm because you could just, you know, have a lot more fun with them knowing they were just going to be throwaway characters in the background or something. Um, But yeah, there was no, uh, yeah, I I can't really say that there was any one particular character. Okay. Um, And then my, my last question, as far as can possible, any favorite behind the scenes moments? I'm sorry. Any favorite behind the scenes moments? Any favorite behind the scenes moments? Wow. Um, <laughs> sheesh. Um, there's nothing that's sort of like popping into my mind, you know? I mean, when, when I was in-house um, all the time, you know, people sometimes ask how the, uh, you know, did I ever meet the voice cast and all that? Um, oftentimes not, because they were doing the recordings in another studio off of um, outside of where we were. Um, but sometimes when I was having to uh, design characters, um, I would either design the character first and then they would get a voice actor to sort of fit the mold of the character I designed. Otherwise, I would get a voice track of uh, the character first 
and then design based on what I think that character looked like based on their voice. But I do remember when I was designing Senior, 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 um, it just kind of, it was taken forever for me just to get that design. Like they weren't happy with anything that I was doing. No, he doesn't feel right. He's not, doesn't feel like this character. And then it wasn't until about two weeks later that they told me he was going to be voiced by Ricardo Montalban. And then at that point, that's when everything became clear. And I'm like, oh, then I sort of saw the character and that's what I was basing Senior, Senior, Senior off of was Ricardo mm-hmm. Montalban. And that's when the design got approved. So it's sort of like, I wish they would have told me that prior, two weeks earlier, you know, that it was going <laughs> to be that guy. I think I would have saved myself a lot of uh, heartache and trouble. Um, yeah, for those who aren't aware, um, that's the same actor who plays Khan in Star Trek. Um, yeah. But yeah, he... He looks a lot. Di- he looked a lot different then than he did, you know, back in the Star Trek yes, days, obviously. Yes. So, but his voice is exactly the same. I, you know, you can't, you, you never miss a beat with that. Um, following up on that, um, one of them, one of the characters that really struck me, I figured, I thought that maybe you, you got the voice demo reel is for Camille Leon. Do you remember her? She was played by Ashley Tisdale. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that one that I would have, I would have got from the voice track um, already on some a lot of a lot of those main characters. I would get the voice tracks for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious because she she very much seemed like someone who was brought on and then you know she was developed into the show. So all right. So next, I have the Danny Phantom questions. Um, kind of similar, but obviously the answers will be different because it was a different process. Um, how early were you involved in the process for Danny Phantom? Were they still in, like, did the show already green light? Were, you, were they still pitching the show to Nick? Um, um, yeah, no, nothing, uh, nothing was happening at that point. What happened was I ended up getting a uh, call from one of my friends that I worked with at Disney and they said, hey, Butch Hartman, who was the creator and creator of Fairly Odd Parents, He's looking for a character designer for this new show um, that's got, you know, that they're going to be doing. So I think the show got greenlit in all honesty before there was anything. Um, from what I remember, um, there was no designs or anything yet. And just an idea that Butch had just uh, written a drawn on a napkin or something and pitched them the <laughs> idea. And um, so I went in and met with Butch. And um, then I just started, he just gave me the parameters, said what it's about, you know, this ghost boy. And then we got these other characters and they actually just hired me just to do a take a test. Um, uh, So I just went back home and just drew just tons and tons of designs of what I thought this character, these characters may look like and then turned it into Butch. And then uh, he hired me off of all the designs that I ended up doing. And then they brought me in in in-house. And at that time, I was just uh, working on it by myself, just working with Butch, you know, all the time, just doing a bunch of designs, going back and forth and coming up with the concepts and ideas. And then it was a few weeks later, you know, it might've been a month later because the other character designer I was working with, Shannon Tyndall, uh, was brought, he came in maybe about a month later and then we shared an office and we were both uh, designing and developing the characters from there. And Shannon is known for, um, he just recently uh, was responsible, came up with the idea for the movie Kubo um, and the two strings. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, out. that was so, fantastic. Yeah, so here's the, here's the magic behind that and just an amazing uh, designer too. And then after that, when, when he left, he ended up leaving to go work on the Proud family. 
um, left and then uh, another designer came on and his name was Ben Balistrieri. So there were always two of us and we were always back and forth getting the scripts because there were so many designs and we'd take turns at splitting who got the cool characters, which villains, which main villains do you get to design, which ones are you going to design. But the whole lineup was basically, you know, all, all created and everything at that point. Okay, um, a couple of follow-up questions. Um, Butch has a very Butch Hartman has a very distinctive design. Were you modeling like a lot of Danny Phantom from the Fairly Odd Parents design and kind of tweaking that, or like how how did that like how did that work? Yeah, a lot of it was knowing Butch's sensibility and that he kind of wanted he didn't want to go detract from his sort of Fairly Odd Parents style. So what we were responsible, we're coming up with like the concepts, right? We're coming up with mm-hmm. like the the hairstyles, the look, the the clothing, the costuming, we're designing all that stuff, but then we're being conscious and putting it into the fairly odd parents. Uh, I mean, yeah, the fairly odd parents world with the big eyes and the, you know, the, the dark outlines and the, you know, the straight against curve. So we're, we're thinking about that in that process. And, you know, the very early designs were a lot more organic. Um, they had mm-hmm. a lot more, I would say more of a Kim Possible sort of flow to them, you know, as I was doing them, but then bringing it back into Butch's um, style was just maybe just bringing it more to the Fairly Odd Parents uh, sort of universe because that's what Butch was comfortable drawing. Um, so, mm-hmm. and, you know, being, you know, his show and is the creator and, you know, uh, this is what he wants to do. And that's how we, the collaboration sort of forms in that between um, the, the designer and, and the creator director, Butch. Okay, and then the second question I had to follow up on that was, um, as far as the backgrounds, were you involved in any of the um, designing or coming up with concepts for just general background look or feel or anything like that? No, no, I don't do no backgrounds um, at all. I just strictly do the characters. And I I don't know the guy's name. I think I remember his his name was Justin. I can't remember his last name. Just um, I had worked with him on Clerks, actually, when I was at Disney a long time ago before that, and he took an amazing background designer, and he came and really created the background look of the show. Okay, yeah, because I was just wondering if you, like, obviously, um, if the, well, if you guys talked or any way, like, if you, I, I, I figured it was back and forth if you sent him. Oh, for sure, designs. yeah, for sure, you, yeah, you have to because we're trying to unify the characters in the background. We don't want the characters to look so different from the backgrounds, and the backgrounds to look so different from the characters. So everyone's really seeing everyone's stuff. You know, um, in all the pitches that are going on, everyone's getting some, you know, information and insight into a direction and then it all starts to blend together. Okay, um, I have another similar question. I don't know if you can answer this one again, but any favorite characters to design or any favorite episode layouts like do you have a anything like that? You know, I, I really had fun like design. One of my favorite characters I designed was a uh, Skulker. Um, all right yeah, I, I really that was a fun one to do uh like the the box ghost uh he was just a simple one fun one like the the lunch lady that you know that was fun but there's so wow there's so many characters i can't even uh uh like walker um mm-hmm. and also vlad plasmius uh designing him was kind of fun you know just trying to come up with that sort of vampire type uh uh character uh, but yeah, there was just, there was so much drawing done. I mean, it's, it was, it was crazy. Even when I think about it, I, I start to shake 
and think and sweat when I think about the amount of designs and development that were done before these final designs get approved. So what we do is we're doing a bunch of designs, we're drawing, drawing, then we should go up to meet with Butch, show them all our concepts and ideas, and then they'll say, yeah, no, I like that one. Go ahead and take that one to the next level, you know, and then it will go to the cleanup department um, where the cleanup department is responsible for putting the that, that thick uh, illustrator line around the characters. Right, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, my last question for Danny Phantom, there there was recently a, like, a little Danny Phantom Fairly Odd Parent short that was just made and released recently. I was wondering if you saw that. Yeah, I did. It was really awesome. It was interesting looking at it, just that it was a little bit different looking. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I was looking at the Danny Phantom stuff, they didn't have the thickness of the line. Uh, they didn't sort of put that in there. And there are some other things that I felt was missing a little bit of from the original uh, series. Mm-hmm. But again, it gets me excited. I go, you know, Butch does a lot of stuff on talking about Danny Phantom. And I'm always in there, Butch, are you going to do it? Are they, is the studio going to let you do it? Will they let you do bring Danny Phantom back? Because there's such a huge following for it. It's just, oh, ins- yeah, there is. Yeah. It's insane, you know, how, how many people and. Um, uh, it just want it back, you know, and uh, you'd think, you'd hope that the studios would get wind of that and just realize its popularity and say, let's do it. And I just hope that when it does happen, that Butch calls me up and asks me to come back onto it because I'd be more than happy to. Do you think it will happen relatively soon? I, I don't know soon. You know, he just came out with this new show, Bunsen is a Beast. Um, right, right. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure. It depends how well that one does. But, you know, Butch is a machine. You know, that guy mm-hmm. is the, the most uh, um, driven uh, uh, showrunner guy that I've ever met in my life. I mean, he is, <laughs> he has not only is just, he's so many ideas and just uh, just his drive and his, his his work ethic is just off the charts and that's why you know he's such a you know force to be reckoned with in the animation industry because of that and i wouldn't doubt it that his trying on the in the back trying to say come on nick let's 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 do this already you know the fans mm-hmm. are calling for it so uh fingers crossed all right, and then similar question. Do you think they'll bring back Impossible? Um, because uh, rumor had it that Bob and Mark were pitching it like a three, like a like a com- computer animated version of it, like relatively recently. So I'm not sure if whatever happened with that, or if you've heard anything, or what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Again, another thing I, I did hear that too. You know, there's always that. Um, you know, I, I think at some point they're they're you know they're always looking for new ideas but the reality is what we're seeing is a resurgence of a lot of old Mm -hmm. shows coming back on tv like even things that have been done before like what they're doing with a lot of the shows from dreamworks that they're making them tv animated series or they're doing um you know like disney's now doing tangled you know so they're doing a lot of properties that they know have a big following. So if they keep following that model and they keep thinking like that, I think you never know, there could be a chance that they uh, they bring it back. That's true, yeah, especially what happened. Um, did you hear what happened with Hey Arnold? They, they're making a movie with it Yeah, now? yeah, exactly. Yeah. After all those years, they brought back Hey Arnold. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think, that you, I think for sure we're going to see Danny Phantom and Kim Possible back again. However, maybe a lot of the listeners here, they may be growing up with their own kids by then, by the time it happens. Who knows? <laughs> right, right. Here's here's hoping something. Okay, yeah, so yeah. um, 
Let's see. So these are more just and wrapping up questions. Um, so you have an online school where you tutor, you know, incoming people that want to do character design or animation, stuff like that. How did you come up for the idea with it? And how do you usually um, let people know? Is it all online? Is it do you have a in-house where you what they meet, you know? Yeah, um, I do a couple of different things. So I teach character design. One of them is on a, a school site. It's called schoolism.com. And that my good friend Bobby Chu um, had created that. He lives in Canada. He's out in Canada. And he created that school. And it was basically just me and him, the first teachers through there. He had asked me to be a part of it. And it's been going on for about 10 years now. And there's a bunch of other classes and a bunch. Of, I teach two character design courses on there now. Um, and there's, again, some other different um, courses through there. And then I also have my own school where I teach live. I, I live out in Simi Valley, California. And mm -hmm. I, I do now what I call a studio mentorship where I just accept five students into the program and they come and we meet uh, once a week from seven till 10 at night. And we it's an eight week course where we go through just the character design mentorship uh, through there where I'm working directly with them and they're just building them up and giving them all the sort of tools that they need to if this is something that they want to do um, in their in their own uh, career. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Is um, well, I'm, I always like teaching people how to new, learn new things. But so I assume that's very rewarding for you just to be able. to Oh yeah, no, ab yeah, absolutely. I, that, that's what I truly love more than anything now. In all, all honesty, I love teaching more than anything, and that's where most of all my energy goes towards. Is is all my teaching that I do? I do workshops all over the world and. Just I, again doing the live school and these different things and uh, but yeah if anyone's interested if you just go to my website is silvertunes.com that's you know with a t o o n s uh, dot com and I got under my classes and everything there shows um, all the stuff that I'm doing. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to put that and post like a big link on the on the thing. Anyway, <laughs> um, so any advice you want to give for someone who wants to go into the animation industry? Yeah, my, well, my biggest advice for anyone wanting to seriously do this is number one, deciding that this is what you want to do and really taking it seriously. And what seriously taking it seriously means is starting to make sure that not only are you learning how to draw the, you know, the human figure and, and gestures, and but you're out there practicing and drawing from life a lot where you're observing in your sketchbook and you're drawing expressions and attitudes and looking at characters and make sure you're extremely versatile. No one, the, the, the biggest thing is that where people go wrong is if they're just sticking in one sort of style in their portfolio and what the animation industry needs is they need people who are versatile because every single commercial is different, every single movie is different, every single animated show is different. So the more versatile you are, the better chances you have. So if there's a certain genre of uh, cartooning you like and it may be towards manga or even anime which is very common with a with a younger audience you don't just want to do that because that's going to destroy your chances and people don't honestly like seeing that sort of work in a portfolio um, they want to see just a broad range of uh, a lot of different sort of character stylings and a lot of different sort of variations on one idea because you're really being hired for your ideas. Uh, you don't want to put fan art in your portfolio. You don't want to do stuff like that um, unless you're redesigning a character completely and giving it a whole new look. 
because that happens, you know, maybe it's Bugs Bunny, but you're redesigning a whole new look to Bugs Bunny, or it could be Scooby-Doo, and you're redesigning what would those guys look like in a whole new look, a whole new style. So those are the sort of things you could throw into your portfolio. Um, and that, that would be my advice is just, just know that it's something um, just, you, you, you know, just take seriously. Just you want to become a great draftsman. You want to just learn how to draw. And in, for any aspect of this industry, that's going to be your best bet um, in trying to get yourself uh, through that door. Right, right. Yeah, when we do, um, we hire artists and animators and stuff like that on the production team. And a lot of people say like they can only draw X thing or they can only do character design. Or they can only do backgrounds or even so, like they, they can only do like a My Little Pony character in their specific style. And that's great. But if we need you to do a storyboard or we need you to do something a little bit different, then you're very limited. So we try to also, yeah, versi- like be versatile, learn everything. Well, I will <laughs> say the versatility is needs to be within that one specific thing. I would say you don't want to have a portfolio filled with storyboards, character designs, props, backgrounds, because you don't want to be a jack of all trades and master of none. You want to really just showcase what, because every studio is looking for specific positions. They're either looking for a character design, a prop design, a background. So you want to fill your portfolio with the versatility and variety of that content. It's like my whole portfolio Mm -hmm. is nothing but character design because I quite honestly, I don't want to do storyboards. I don't want to do backgrounds. I don't want to draw props. And that's all I'm sort of uh, focused on. So that's where I would say that's very important. Right, right. All right. Um, and then anything you want to talk about? Any social media links? I know you have a YouTube channel. Anything else you want to you want to plug before we end? Um, yeah, no. You can I mean, follow me on my um, my my Facebook, um, which I'm not even sure. Maybe you guys could just put the handles in there. I think it's Facebook. Yeah, that, that's like, fine. Yeah, yeah, my Facebook, and um, I have an Instagram too. And then every Monday I do a um, an art, what I call an art talk, on my YouTube channel. Um, and I think that's where you found me actually, right? Through my, through my uh, yeah. Monday morning YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, that's it. And then my website, silvertoons.com. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's all the questions I have. Um, thank you so much for um, coming, Stephen. It was, it's been a pleasure. Oh, you bet. Thanks so much for the invite. No problem. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting provider. We are really hoping the show makes a difference in how people view animation, as well as media as a whole, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like and want to join the animation and media industry. If you like what you heard, please remember to show support by giving a like, a follow, rating those five stars, as well as subscribing to our main I Love Kim Possible A Lot channel on YouTube, and turn your notifications on. New episodes of Animation Animation Communication come out every Wednesday at 6 a.m. EST on podcasting platforms and 4 p.m. EST on YouTube. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the KP Podcast for information on upcoming guest episodes and more, as well as our hosts KP and Lyle Convoy at I Love KP a Lot and at Lyle Manbad on social media. I'm Lucy and thank you for being a part of our community. See you next time on Animation Communication.